0: Good morning. It is Tuesday, November the second, twenty twenty one. If I sound a little different this morning, it's because I'm broadcasting from a remote location. In where am I, Paul? I'm in Iowa. You're in I,
2: Iowa, but I'm
0: not very far from South Dakota. No, you're I not. flew into Sioux Falls, so yeah. It and let me just say that there's a distinctive scent, like <laughs> smell. <laughs> I, <laughs> 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 and I and I'm not really sure that if people haven't driven around at night in this part of the country at this time of the year, that anyone out there is aware of just how big a combine is when it's driving down the road with all of its lights on. They are up huge. You. They are huge. Okay, so the harvest is going to be plentiful based on uh, my trek through the through the country last night, and there's no shortage of pork. That's my assessment based on the smell. And that's your Tuesday farm report. Yeah, Is that fair to say? Is that fair to say? That's fair. All right. uh, Here, I have a couple of headlines before we get to our conversation with Mark Caleb Smith. Voters in Minneapolis are going to decide today whether or not to allow the city council to disband the Minneapolis Police police Department. So let me just go ahead and say, get out there and vote today. If you uh, live in the city of Minneapolis, because your vote counts, and this is a this is critical. So, both the governor and the state's two U.S. senators uh, oppose the referendum to disband the police department in Minneapolis. Um, however, they're not actively campaigning against it. The Minnesota Attorney General, Keith Ellison, and his congressional successor, Elon Omar, both favor disbanding uh, the police department in Minneapolis. A, a Pew Research poll last week showed that um, although there is, you know, legitimate public concern, Across the country um, about policing, there is greater concern about violent crime and uh, Americans attitudes about funding the police in their own communities have shifted significantly. Pew reports that a share of adults who say that spending on police in their area should be increased now stands at forty seven percent. That is a really significant rise, 16 percent rise since June of 2020. Twenty one percent who say funding their local police department should be increased a lot and um, and support for reducing the spending on police has fallen significantly. So policing and policing reform is important. Um, Disbanding the police or defunding the police is just uh, doesn't work. And here's let me tell you why it doesn't work. Um, We're sinners. Right. We wouldn't need police. We wouldn't even need laws if people were angels but people are not angels. Oh, and by the way, there's fallen angels too. I mean, like the whole people aren't angels argument isn't even sufficient cuz I don't know if you've heard of Lucifer, but you know, he's an angel too. All right. So, uh people are people and we are a fallen lot and we need laws and we need uh those to enforce the laws and so there you go. That's my two cents on that topic. The trial of Kyle uh, Rittenhouse has begun a jury selection in Wisconsin. His defense attorneys say that uh, the then 17-year-old was acting in self-defense last August when he shot and killed Anthony Huber, 26, Joseph uh, Rosenbaum, 36, and injured Gage uh, Grosskreutz, now 27. Uh, It is interesting to me that the Kenosha County Circuit judge who is hearing this case, Bruce Schroeder, said that the three men those three men can potentially be referred to during the trial as rioters or looters, but he reiterated his longstanding rule that attorneys not refer to them as victims. This is a language, uh, language matters, and how language is used frames the way people think about one another, and certainly will frame how the jury thinks about uh, the accused, in this case, Kyle Rittenhouse. He is charged with felony homicide related to the killings of Huber and Rosenbaum, and felony attempted homicide in connection with Grosskreutz's injury. He is also charged with possession of a dangerous weapon while under the age of 18, which is a misdemeanor in Wisconsin. He has pleaded not guilty, which could lead us to a conversation about telling the truth, right? So we swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help us God. And this is a uh, a young man uh, who stands accused of crimes that, frankly, we all saw on television, and we all saw him do it, and we all saw him holding the weapon. And so um, to plead not guilty In this case, I recognize that that's a standard within U.S. court, Um, but let's just all acknowledge what we know to be true, and then let us be people who recognize the importance of telling the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help us God, even when that truth um, reveals negative things about us, right? We're all fallen. We're going to actually talk a lot today about just how fallen we are. Um, All right. So uh, I've got um, Mark Caleb Smith with us this morning from Cedarville University. He and I are going to cover a number of headlines. We'll be right back. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. All right, joining us now, Dr. Mark Caleb Smith from Cedarville University. Welcome back, sir.
1: Hey, Carmen, how are you doing today?
0: I am. I am well. I am well. It is. Uh, it is frosty, though. Let me tell you, up here in the, the northern parts.
1: <laughs> you know, you're in <laughs> Iowa, right? So the old line from uh, from the movie Field of Dreams is, "Is this heaven? No, it's Iowa, right?
0: Yeah. So it's great. It's great. It's so beautiful. <laughs> It's so beautiful, but let me just tell you, it's it's a little bit frosty. Okay, so that's okay. It's expected, right? I mean, the frost is on the pumpkin. It was supposed to be on the pumpkin, you know, the end of last week. So there you go. It's Um, November. It is November. It is November. Tell us what is going on. Uh, The Supreme Court of the United States has begun hearing, or maybe has already completed hearing, I don't know, you're going to tell me where we are on this, Uh, this heartbeat law in Texas. What's going on here?
1: Yeah, so yesterday the court had oral arguments um, that dealt with two cases that stem from this bill in Texas. Uh, of course, oral arguments is just when the court listens to the, the attorneys from both parties uh, and, and, and respondents as well. Uh, and the court hasn't reached a decision. Uh, they will reach a decision probably within days or a week because what they were hearing yesterday was really an effort to try to stop the law on its tracks right now. Um, and so the court usually turns that around pretty quickly. But as you and your listeners know, this law is is really the most restrictive abortion law in the country. Uh, it limits abortion at around six weeks due to uh, heartbeat activity, and it's a pretty significant departure from what we've seen in the past. If we think of the court's historic standards in cases like Roe v. Wade or uh, Casey versus Planned Parenthood, uh, but the most interesting part of the law is that it allows private individuals to sue people who have had abortions, <clears throat> or to sue those uh, who have aided and abetted an abortion um, in private lawsuits. And so state officials don't enforce this law, police officers don't enforce this law, These, this is enforced through private civil suits. And that was really a main theme of the oral arguments yesterday, whether that component really just makes the law unworkable altogether.
0: Hmm. Okay. And so then I also have this headline that the Supreme Court has ruled in favor of nuns seeking to, and that's nuns like nuns who wear habits and work for the Catholic Church, seeking to opt out of abortion mandate, which I have to just tell you that on the face of it is a ridiculous headline. I mean, like, why would we have to decide that nuns don't need abortion coverage? I I just, anyway...
1: Now this, this comes from New York. Uh, they have a law that requires employers to cover abortion in their health care plans. Um, and even if they're religious organizations, they have to have this component of their health care plans. It does allow for some exemptions if you're a very specific kind of religious organization, but you, only ha- you can only be involved in purely religious activities, and only hire people who fully align with your religious points of view. Well, the nuns in this particular case got dragged into this because they offer other programs as part of what they do, including things like 4-H. And so they were not granted an exemption and they had to had to cover abortion on their health care. And so they sued. But, yeah, the Supreme Court ultimately sided with the nuns in this case, the Sisterhood of St. Mary, uh, and against the state of New York. And so, yeah, I agree with you on its face. It's kind of ludicrous to think that uh, – nuns should have to provide abortions as part of the, their their health care plan. Uh but we've seen uh, over the last uh 15 years or so, we've seen the progressive left be pretty insistent. You know, this goes back to the Obama administration and the Affordable Care Act and interpreting that act to really require religious organizations to provide abortion or provide contraceptives uh as well as part of it. And So, this is a this is a trend that we're seeing or religious organizations are being uh, asked to violate their consciences. And thankfully, the court did the right thing. But this is all part of a long theme we're seeing in the court right now. It's dealing with abortion. We had the oral arguments yesterday. We have a case coming up in December where they're going to hear oral arguments about a case from Mississippi. And so, uh, you know, there's a chance we're going to see the court do some things related to abortion. Uh, There's also a chance I think we'll see mostly the status quo, uh, but we'll see.
0: I think it's an opportunity for us to also reinforce that the the long theme of supporting religious liberty um, is only strengthened by this decision of the Supreme Court. And so you know, it, People need to be reminded that although it feels like these are threats to religious liberty, they ultimately are not because the court has consistently ruled in favor of religious liberty um, in these cases. So just a, an affirmation that at that level things, um, things are working in terms of defending the religious freedom of Americans. All right, let's take a very brief break. Mark Caleb Smith and I will be right back. This is the G.I. Jive, man alive. It starts with the bugler blow and reveille over your bed. All right, we're talking with Dr. Mark Caleb Smith from Cedarville University. Um, Mark, we have a follow-up question from a listener related to our conversation about the um, the Texas uh, heartbeat law being heard before the Supreme Court. So let me let me see if I can summarize it, and 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 you and I can talk about it for just a moment. Um, the, the the listener is raising the concern. Um, about whether or not the Texas law uh, essentially um, is v- promoting vigilantism. And I guess my, my thought there is, even if it is, that's not the purview of the Supreme Court, nor is it the question being asked.
1: So <clears throat> I think the concern there is that the law would be used uh, by individuals to sort of oppress other people. Uh, vigilantism would be the most extreme version of that, of course. But um, Justice Barrett and Justice Kavanaugh in oral arguments yesterday actually raised this issue uh, by saying, you know, is there a way that this law, that this framework for this law could be used to restrict things like gun rights or to uh, restrict other rights by allowing individuals to simply sue people uh, for things that we would normally otherwise see as a constitutional right? Um, Now, I don't see abortion as a constitutional right, let me be clear, uh, but the court historically has seen it as a constitutional right, you know, almost 50 years now. And so they asked whether or not this could happen in other states. And you know, the arguments really weren't very satisfactory that it could not. And so I think that's what the listener is getting to, um, the potential danger of this approach when it comes to other rights and liberties.
0: All right, Joe, thanks for that question. And Mark, thanks for answering it. Um, So we have this um, interesting conversation going on in the in the United States of America about Black Lives Matter, not the not the conviction that people who um, are whose skin pigmentation is dark matter, because obviously people matter. Every person matters. All people matter. And the lives of black people matter. So. Small letters, Black Lives Matter, absolutely. But Americans um, have really turned on the organizational group, Black Lives Matter. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> you know, over a year ago now, we saw a significant amount of support uh, for Black Lives Matter uh, as a slogan. And as you said, though, as that support for the slogan grew into potential support for an organization, things got a lot more complicated. Um, as always, the devil is in the details. And so if we support the Black Lives Matter organization, um, what does that look like? What kind of policies would come out of that? What kind of changes would we see in the law? And so when we think of the George Floyd killings, if we want to avoid those things, then what, how do we change the law to avoid them? Well, the dominant theme that has come out of Black Lives Matter at least politically, and we could argue whether that's justified or not. But the dominant theme has been around defunding the police, or stripping away resources from police departments, or reshuffling resources to maybe devote more towards social spending. And this, you know, it heads in many different directions. Um, now, of course, critics would argue that this has been a Republican effort to kind of smear the organization. Uh, but when you read the organization and read and listen to its advocates, there's an awful lot of talk about defunding the police in one way, in one shape or another. And as you talked about in your introductory comments, uh, this half hour, polling has really shifted dramatically on this issue. Um, You know, in the poll that you cited, three fourths of African American respondents said they favored either the same amount of funding for police or more funding for police, not less funding, not defunding, uh, but either the same or more. And as we've seen a rise in violent crime across the country, Uh, in cities, you know, there's been a 30% increase in urban, uh, murders in the past year, Seattle's seen a 73% increase in murders, uh, in 2021 or 2020. And so these kinds of increases, I think have put people on edge and you can understand why. And the, the mere talk of defunding the police just seems fanciful. It seems, uh, almost silly. And, you know, as a result, we've seen the politics of this shift pretty dramatically. You know, Democratic candidates for mayor across the country are scrambling, uh, trying to figure out a way to get out of this uh, corner that they've painted themselves into.
0: Hmm. Um, so I am encouraging people who live in communities where this is a you know, very, very active conversation, you know, encouraging people to get involved locally. I think that that's where decisions are best made. Um, you know, I, you know, at that level, all politics really are local. And so let me just encourage you wherever you live, you know, like get engaged in this conversation, know who your police officers are, know the concerns of your community and be a bridge where you can. Um, can we talk for just a moment about, um, moral capital? What is moral capital and how does, um, how does it affect and the lack of it affect policy making?
1: So yeah it's this we talked a lot about different kinds of capital in our recent history um, whether it's social capital uh, or human capital or even sort of capital investments. but moral capital is this idea that we draw from a moral point of view uh, as we make policies that morality directly shapes our policies and, they, and it should um, shape our policies. And I think the argument we're having even among evangelicals right now is to what extent should our morality, be affecting the way that we approach policy. Um, historically, it's been pretty common uh, for state and local governments in particular to regulate things from a moral perspective, whether that's prostitution, whether that's pornography or obscenity, uh, drug use or whatever it may be. Uh, but there's more and more pressure in society, I think, uh, to take that uh, more libertarian approach to those problems and just simply let people do what they're going to do. And the government kind of comes along and cleans up whatever uh, mess there might be as a result of that. I think as believers, we get, we need to have a real conversation about this. You know, to what extent are we willing to press our moral beliefs into issues that are that are difficult, uh, maybe unpopular to some extent? You know, should should Christians be talking more about state lotteries, for example, and the way that lotteries take money from ultimately people who can't afford it and channel it into tax revenue? Should we be discussing that as a moral issue? You know, I tend to think that we should. What about gambling and now our sports league's interaction with gambling and how the law has been uh, crafted to allow for that? And so uh, you know, I think we need to be drawing on our moral reserves more as we look at the at the political world uh, as opposed to less, but the cultural pressure is certainly uh, to do less and less and just simply give people the freedom that they want.
0: Yeah, freedom without restraint is is That's a right. problem, and if people aren't self restrained, um, then we need you know active laws, and laws are related to policy. So, yeah, thank you. We're going to have to continue thinking through these things. Thank you for helping us think through them from a Christian worldview. We genuinely appreciate it.
1: Thanks, Carmen. Uh, thanks to you and all your listeners. Take care.
0: So uh, Mark invested a lot of time watching the movie Dune and then writing a review of it. So if that is something that interests you, you can read Mark Caleb Smith's review of Dune, the movie, at BereansAtTheGate.com. There you go. It's, uh, It's a lot of sand. That's what I have on that. All right. That's Dr. Mark Caleb Smith. We'll be right back. All right. If you haven't downloaded the Faith Radio app, uh, let me encourage you to do that. You can not only listen to this program anytime, you can also listen to all the other great programming here on Faith Radio. So download the Faith Radio app. It's a great way to share the show with someone else, be an ambassador, be a radio missionary. All right. And then it doesn't really matter where you are. Where in the world are you? uh, won't, uh, won't be relevant because the app will travel with you wherever you go. Um, okay. So next up, we're going to have a conversation with pastor Adam Comer. He has um, pressed himself into helping us understand what we're going to call the forgotten pandemic. That is the name of, uh, of, of a documentary that he has uh, produced. And it's about the opioid epidemic in America. And in the midst of COVID, the pandemic, we have lost sight in many cases of the opioid pandemic, uh, the addiction pandemic in America. So we're going to talk with Pastor Adam Comer about that next.
2: I grew up knowing my dad loved me, but I never heard him say it. And it left a big hole in my heart. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. Words have a powerful impact on people. Your verbal affirmation can give your family confidence, security, and a sense of warmth they can't get anywhere else. We've always been told that actions speak louder than words, but that's not always true. Sometimes saying, I love you, can speak to the heart of your child louder than any gift or action could. So play an active role in your teen's security and confidence. Go tell your teen and the rest of your family that you love them. Dad, Mom, say the three words to your teen, I love
1: you. Want to hear Mark in
2: person? For a list of upcoming events, go to parentingtodaysteens.org. That's parentingtodaysteens.org.
0: Comer joins us now. We're going to talk about the forgotten pandemic. You can find the documentary at forgottenpandemic.com. Adam, welcome to Mornings with Carmen.
2: Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here.
0: Yeah, it's great to have you with us. Let's just start with um, the topic of um, of addiction. How big an issue is addiction in America today?
2: Oh, goodness. How much time do we have now? No. <laughs> Uh, so goodness, just from last year for some statistical, uh, I guess things from last year to this year, it jumped 30 overdose deaths jumped 30%. it went from around 70,000 to 93,000 in 2020 drug overdose deaths. And that doesn't include alcohol related deaths at all. So it is truly a pandemic.
0: And I think that when, when we talk about the things that we don't talk about, right, so that's what we're going to talk about today. We're talking about something that we don't talk about often enough. Um, it, when we can talk about these incredible numbers, um, but I think, Adam, and you know this, that each one of those numbers is a person, a precious person, a family, a business, a community, a church. So let's personalize this. Why do you care so much about this issue?
2: oh yeah i i care about this issue because i was supposed to be one of those numbers i um i grew up and had the american dream had two great parents uh played sports popular didn't have any trauma or drama uh, but then got injured and and tasted that first opiate and my life spiraled out of control and lost everything and um Man, tried the the secular modalities of 12 steps and calling myself an addict or an alcoholic and doing all of these things that the world told me to do to be in remission, and it just didn't work. And uh, I, f- I heard the gospel, uh, grew up in church, but I heard the gospel for <laughs> maybe the first time, and it talked about freedom and that my identity was not in the things that I had done. And that I could be a new creation, and I found freedom and tasted it, and so my life changed forever. And I have to share that message of hope.
0: Your motivation to um, to, to live into your new identity and the freedom that you've experienced in Christ is, um, I think, reflected um, in what you're doing now. So, can you can you tell um, folks what you do at? S2L Recovery, um, because I think that that is a way for us to get into the conversation um, about the forgotten pandemic documentary.
2: Absolutely. So I'm a a pastor and I'm the chief executive officer of S2L Recovery, which is also the same program that I walked through the doors 10 years ago, struggling with addiction. And so we serve men. Uh, We're located in Middle Tennessee. We're an all-male facility for now. Um, And we're licensed and we're joint commission accredited and gosh, we see hundreds of men a year and we're just different than what, if, if anyone's ever come, gone through some kind of recovery when they come to S2L, uh, it's different. And that's kind of our mission that we're not going to do what the, the secular norm is because as I just said, the stats, it's, it's not going the right direction and addiction's not a surprise to God.
0: So you guys can find s two l recovery at s two l recovery I'd encourage you to um, to read what's on the site and click through to the seven principles. Um, I think the seven principles Adam apply to everybody, uh, right? This is good material for everybody. Uh, I think when we oh. we're tempted to imagine that addiction is limited to you know drugs and alcohol. But addiction is a reality for everybody in the culture today. And I just think the fact that you guys put the seven principles curriculum right out here for folks is, that's such a blessing and a gift.
2: Yeah, the seven principles, uh, it's called Lost and Found, Recovery in Christ. But it's seven principles, just it's straight from the Bible. It's found in Second Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. And the key, the reason that, that we're, we're growing, it's really sanctification and discipleship but it gives seven principles of growth in your faith right after saying this statement that you can escape the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desires. And gosh, if you've ever struggled with addiction or know someone that has that word desire means something a little bit different. And the Bible just said that we can escape that. And that's like a mic drop moment. That's a God said it. So be it. And then we want to learn how to grow in these things. And like, like you said, that's for everybody. That's not just for when jesus was giving the sermon on the mount he didn't segregate he didn't say okay hey liars you sit here and and adulterers you sit over here and then hey drunkards you sit over here no he had this message for all and it was sanctification it was discipleship it was growth
0: yeah i love I, i i love peter and i love the way peter phrases things um particularly in his second letter and i i so appreciate that like Peter gives God all the credit. I mean, he's, you know, he's like, it's, it's his divine power has given us everything that we need for a godly life. I mean, that, right. I mean, it's, it's such great encouragement and assurance. Um, I want to get to a conversation about the documentary, Um, introduce people um, to the documentary, and then let's be sure we tell them where they can find it.
2: Absolutely. So the documentary is called The Forgotten Pandemic, uh, and the title kind of explains the thought behind it. Uh, and you could find it at theforgottenpandemic dot com. Uh and it was just a, a calling. It kind of began. Uh, you want me to kind of go into the how we yeah. felt led to, yeah. to make it? Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. So we
2: we um gosh, it was it was last year. It was right around when um the COVID nineteen really became a a shutdown situation for everyone, and some I guess are still still walking through that. Uh, but we we were in this situation where we thought it was time for us just to make another promo video for our ministry, you know, a little three minute promo video. It was time to update that, and we began to to kind of hear from the Lord, and then felt as we fasted and God, what would you have us do through this moment and and time? God, you've given us this moment. How do you want us to respond? And we felt like He was telling us that addiction this 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 is bigger than just S2L on a promo video. Uh, the message that he's given us, the message that he's given all of us, it's not a surprise to him. We felt like he was telling us to make, you know, shout that from the rooftops. And so what does that look like? We never made a film. And honestly, if I if I knew then what I know now about making a film, my yes might not have been on the table as fast with this, just because it's a lot of work uh, that I was not aware of. But it was in this season, if you recall back to last year, early last year, all of these documentaries started coming out. America was consumed with documentaries like uh, The Last Dance with Michael Jordan and even the Tiger King and The Social Dilemma. And I don't know, we felt like he was calling us to make this, and he just began to open doors. We were able to, inter- to interview Zach Williams uh, and Mark Hall from Casting Crowns and some politicians and some uh, pastors and other people that had gone through it and other directors of Christ-centered programs and it was just a labor of love, and it's controversial, uh, to be honest, because it is radically different than what the secular world says, Um, but we've seen, it's been out about two months now, and we've seen amazing feedback, almost like it's a breath of fresh air for the church, capital C Church, because yeah, that's right. Why are we, why are we sending our loved ones to places that say things antithetical to the Word of God? Like the Word, like if, if I'm forced to stand up and say hey i'm adam and i'm an addict and yet the bible says that if you're in christ you're a new creation if that you're a saint man that's that there's freedom from this not a lifelong ailment that you could be set free from this those are conflicting and confusing and so i'm going to lean towards the word of god the almighty god
0: so adam let's take a very brief break when we come back um i want to i want to invite you to help us um Receive someone who, let's say they have, uh, you know, they've come to spend time with you guys at 2SL, um, and then they come back, quote unquote, home to our communities, to the fellowship of our church. Um, I want to have you help us receive them back as a saint, a brother, a sister, as opposed to receiving them back as their past. Can we do Mm. that a little? Can we talk a little bit through that?
2: I'd love that. Yes.
0: Okay. We're talking with Pastor Adam Comer. You can find the Forgotten Pandemic documentary at ForgottenPandemic.com. We'll be right back. We're talking with Adam Comer. He is a child of God, he's redeemed in Christ. He is a husband. He's a dad. He's a pastor. He's a CEO of a ministry. And like all of us, he has a past. So Adam, let's um let's talk about how we like I just feel like this is a subject matter that is relevant to all of us. None of us are who we were before we were in Christ or before we were living actively in pursuit of 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 holiness. Um and yet we have a tendency as Christians to continue to treat people as their sin. Mm. So, so can you yeah. help can you we need a little recovery here. Um can you help <laughs> the body recover from that? <laughs>
2: Uh, the, the spirit of God can, and I could be a testimony for sure. And, and, uh, goodness, I think it kind of goes back to what I said about the sermon on the Mount and there's no segregation there. It's a message for all, but I mean, there's definitely some practical things I could, I could give and then tell my own story and how it related to the importance of the church with my restoration, my walk with my wife, my walk with the Lord. So practical things I would just say for the church and maybe even specifically pastors or church leaders um, one of the main where we fail, if we don't have our guys that leave our program, graduate plugged into a church. And so we call churches and oftentimes, um, you know, they're, oh, great. He's coming here and we have an AA or an NA meeting on Thursday night in the fellowship hall. And I mean, I think I'm not, I'm not trying to go hard or bad on any kind of program, but my question is, is okay, who's, who's running that meeting. And do you know what's being said in that meeting? And well, it's someone from the AA community. Well, okay. And, and, and I guess I can tell you from personal experience, I, a lot of times I left those meetings wanting to use more than I did when I got there. And I had to stand up. And identity is such a big piece. I mean, even psychology 101, if we want to move into the secular world, psychology of you tell a little girl she's ugly, she's going to grow up and think she's ugly. Or a little boy, you know, the same thing. And if if I have to identify and introduce myself as my, as an addict before I'm allowed to speak, that's damaging. And it's antithetical to what he's saying, the pastor's saying in the pulpit. So know what's going on. You could start christ Center recovery meetings like lost and found uh, shameless plug uh, or celebrate recovery or, or, you know, something like that to where it's more in line with what you're doing now um, it's discipleship. And I think, after doing what I've been doing for a decade now and serving in this field, we call it kind of trench warfare ministry, just because when I see guys, they're in the darkest seasons of their life. What I've noticed, what I've found, and <laughs> this is in 10 years of ministry, not, not as long as some, but it's heavy ministry. What I found is that everybody, everybody is jacked up. Everybody is messed up. Not you know, But sometimes we wear masks and we want to, say hey their problem or their sin or what they're dealing with is worse than mine so i'm gonna how you doing i'm great i'm doing good brother and put on a mask and here's kind of a personal story of me needing to plug in fresh out of rehab which was the original question hey how do we how do we do this and thank goodness i have a godly wife who stuck with me and god restored our marriage but she signed us up for a small group Uh, I, i was still working for the ministry every other sunday at that time. And so one of the Sundays that I was working in the ministry and she was at church, she signed us up at a small group booth and I wasn't very happy. I was fresh out of, um, of rehab. I was an intern. I was kind of serving, loving the Lord, but I wasn't fond on church. Then I kind of had an opinion on church people. And so when she came home and said, Hey, we signed, we're going to small group next Sunday. I was like, Oh, really? My Sunday, one of my only Sundays off, I'm going to church. And then lunch, we got to go to stranger's house. She goes, yeah, that's what we're doing. And so I walk in, we're we're a little late and I'm a little bit kind of have a haughty spirit about it. My wife's like, get in there. And so, uh, we walk in. I like
0: Katie already. I
2: I love Katie. (laughs) She's a PK. She's a pastor's kid. And she's, she's just, Oh man, she's been, she's Lord, Lord's used her in a mighty way, but we go in and again, kind of young in my faith, have a haughty spirit about this, have an opinion about these kind of church people. And they go around the room and Honestly, it's kind of like leave it to beaver. It's like, Hey, we're the, ho- we're the so-and-sos and it's a gee whiz great day. And it goes around and it's just these perfect people in this room and it gets to the us, it gets to the comers. And I'm like, here's my chance. We'll never be back. Hey guys, just got out of rehab, man. I did a whole lot of awful stuff. I was a drug addict for so long. God restored me and my wife's so over like, yeah, yeah, that's God. Amen. God did amazing things. And their jaws were just dropping to the floor as I was talking. And what seemed like. 50 50 minutes of silence was probably two seconds and then all of a sudden the small group host whose home we were at broke the silence with yes finally someone gets real in this room and and i kid you not it goes back around the room and all of a sudden sin was confessed hey we're actually discussions of divorce. Hey, I'm struggling with pornography. Hey, this is going on in my life. Hey, I have these issues. And it opened up the table for authenticity. And to this day, this is a decade ago to this day. These are my closest friends. We go on vacation together. We're legal guardians of each other's children kind of thing. And it is what I feel like needs to happen. And so it's not like have a special group for them. Yes. Have boundaries for people who are coming out of rehab, know the damage and and things that can happen there but disciple them, walk with them. Don't, don't put a mask on with them, but do life with them. Everyone that's going in the church that got, Jesus came as a physician to heal the sick, not the the well, right? Amen. And
0: yeah. so I
2: guess just a fly by, that would be my answer of walk in discipleship. Don't be afraid to to get in the pit and, and, and get a little messy. That's, that's what we're supposed to do as believers. Church history declares that look at all the names of the hospitals and everything. That's what the church, is done. We've marched into the storm. That's why another reason we made the film just to kind of unite the church and wake them up, wake up. Oh, sleepers. This is our responsibility, not the world's.
0: And we don't live um, at this point in time on accident. And as you said earlier, God's not surprised by anything that's taking place um, in our individual lives, in our communities, in our churches, in our country, in the world. Uh, you, You are I don't know if this comes to you naturally or if it comes to you supernaturally, but you are, um, you have an openness about you and an openness about the way that you, uh, that you talk, um, that actually I think invites people to be authentic and to reflect deeply, uh, and to then not hide. And so thank you for that. Uh I love, um, I love the way that you bear witness to, um, who Katie is and the role that she has played. Um, and you know, and it's not just a supporting role. And I think that there's, um, there's a testimony for the two of you going forward in the life of the church, um, to that as well. And so I just want to encourage you on that front as you think about what's ahead, because your wife and your kids, like, this is not just something, and you know, this, right. This is not just something that an individual, um, experiences and, 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 it makes this transformation. It has this transformation, um, in terms of God's redemptive power, a marriage is redeemed. A family is redeemed, you know, an understanding of, of who dad is, is redeemed. Like you, you became a new man. And that, that means something, um, not just in your professional context, but it means something in the context of redeeming a generation and a generational understanding of what it means to be a person after God's heart. So I just wanted to um, thank you for that. And as you guys look forward as a family, just recognize that that's, that's a beautiful testimony and we all see that as well.
2: Mm, thank you. Uh, gosh, got me emotional. You got me in my feels this morning, but mm. I, I tell you, there was a moment, um, my, my wife was, we were separated and I'd gone through the different places. I would lied. And I, I was never unfaithful. But I, I could just relate. And, and after doing this for 10 years, what the feelings and emotions she was feeling, it felt like I was having an affair. It was just with a chemical. And so I know the wives are feeling that. And I could tell you there was a godly woman. I was I was in rehab for the upteenth time or whatever. And my wife was doing like a gardening day at the church, her local church. And a godly woman, she was just wrestling with stuff. And and understandably people were advising her, Hey, you've got to move away. You've got to have boundaries. And I mean, this is, this is just a marriage that's broken. And she was in the dirt like digging for flowers or weeding or something. And this godly woman um, told her, Hey, Katie, what if you gave Adam one more chance? And I met that woman uh, many years later across from the table at some event. And I hadn't heard that story until she kind of told me that story at that moment when I was meeting her and, I am so thankful that God put that lady in our life and that God listened because like you said, now we have two beautiful children and we have a, a marriage that God's using to bring him glory and to share hope.
0: Amen. Amen. Adam, what a joy. Um, what a joy to know you as a brother in Christ. Um, thank you for uh, for who you are and what you're doing. want to encourage folks to check out s2lrecovery.org and also um, the film The Forgotten Pandemic at forgottenpandemic.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. All right, we got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. In the meantime, get into the Word of God that we might allow the Word of God to get into us before we get out there into the world that God so loves.